love, honor, and respect you. I promise to love, cherish, and protect you. From this day forward. Till death do us part. I remember our wedding day. It was awesome. I mean, my dress was gorgeous, and all of the flowers were so beautiful. And everybody that I loved was there, you know, all of my family, and the day was just amazing. I mean, it was good. It was really, really good. And there was this moment right before I walked on the aisle, and I remember looking up to God and just feeling so thankful for this man that he had given me. I was scared to death. Seriously, I thought I was going to pee my pants. I mean, I don't usually get in front of people like that, let alone wearing socks. <coughs> Come on. I, I forgot to go to the bathroom before the ceremony started, and, and I kept thinking, don't pee yourself, and don't lock your knees, and keep breathing. And then all of a sudden, I looked up, and there she was. She took my breath away. I never wanted her back. Our honeymoon was amazing. I mean, we went to a tropical island, and it was just a whole week of relaxing, and we got to walk on the beach a lot and just spend time together. We were just so in love. We went to the street vendors, you know, and, and we were looking around at stuff, and we didn't have a lot of money, but I picked up this amber necklace, and I put it up against her skin, and I knew she had to have it because she was worth it. And then we went home. <laughs> Once we got home, it was like something strange started to happen. It, it was like aliens came into our bedroom, scooped out his brain, and filled it with gummy bears. <laughs> oh, honey, are those your dirty dishes in the sink? Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, you know we have a dishwasher, right? Well, yeah, yeah, you're really good at it, too, sweetheart. Um, did you not interrupt me when I'm watching TV? Or at least wait till commercial. You see what I mean? Gummy bears. After the honeymoon, I had a sneaking suspicion that she was sneaking out at night and taking night classes at some college on some foreign language because everything she said made zero sense. <coughs> Do you like this shirt on me? Looks good. So you don't like the color? What? If you don't like the color, just say you don't like the color. I mean, I don't even know why I try to look nice for you. <laughs> what just happened here? Why don't you think I'm pretty? In the mornings when she wakes up, her breath will melt your face off. He farts and then holds my head under the covers. That's not okay. Honestly, I'm a little scared because I think I might have married my mother. Well, I wouldn't have to act like his mother if he didn't act like a child. I mean, close our refrigerator door, pick up your shoes, take out the garbage. Seriously, how hard is it to obey? She can't cook. I think she's slowly trying to poison me with her food. Okay, two words, road rage. Two words, shopaholic. Have I mentioned he still has his comic book collection from junior high? Did I mention that she still makes fun of me for having a comic book collection from junior high? He's addicted to television. She's addicted to purses. And I don't understand this, but for some reason, she manages to lose every purse she owns in the house. Seriously, how hard is it to lose something this big? I thought we were supposed to be on the same team. Uh, I'm still on the same team. Apparently you defected, started playing for some other team that you made up in your mind. That doesn't even make any sense. Well, you don't make any sense. Well, your gummy bears don't make any sense. Oh, oh, oh you're stupid. Well, you're stupid. Well, you made me this way. Ah! <coughs> <laughs> you 
Is that not what marriage is like? We have a wedding day that is absolutely wonderful and amazing. We commit our lives uh, to, uh, to each other. We say these amazing vows, right? We say things like, to death do us part, through sickness and in health. We go on way too expensive honeymoons and we whisper sweet nothings in each other's ears. And it's going to be absolutely amazing. And then we get home. And we realize that we married another person who is not always perfect, who thinks differently than we do, who acts differently than we do, and all of a sudden we wonder, what have I gotten myself into? She begins to wonder if, her head, if his head is really filled with gummy bears. And uh, he wonders if she's learning a different language as they move along in years. The reality is that in marriage there is difference. And sometimes that difference can want to make us pull our hair out. This morning we are in week two of a series here at Ignite Church called The Vow. We're spending a few weeks on both campuses talking about marriage and relationships. It's a series, as Russ uh, mentioned last week, which we are learning about how to thrive and, and come alive in our relationships. And so whether you are single or dating or happily married or truthfully going through a rough patch, it's a series where we're going to learn some practical lessons on how to bring relationships to life. And this morning, we're diving into the topic of dealing with difference when your mate rubs you the wrong way. When your mate rubs you the wrong way. And when I'm talking about rubbing you the wrong way, I'm not talking about the bad massage you got last night. I'm talking about when your mate literally drives you crazy. When you want to go right and they want to go left. Now, for all of us in this room, specifically for those that are single or divorced, I just want to say to you as well, uh, this morning we are primarily talking about uh, marriage, and so we're speaking to those that are married, but there's going to be some stuff in this message for you as well. For you that are single, uh, maybe you're looking for a spouse, and so if that's you, you need to take some notes, because if you're going to get married someday, this will be reality for you, okay? It will be hard. It will be difficult. There will be times where you and your spouse are going to have differences, and you're not going to want to get along, and so take some notes. If you're divorced... Or, or maybe heading that way. Uh, maybe so there's some things that you hear this morning and you realize that maybe, maybe you didn't approach marriage like you should have. And so maybe there's some things that you're going to go back and, and ask for forgiveness for. And, and maybe there's some things that you're going to make amends for that will bring uh, life-changing and maybe some even restoration in marriages that are broken. But primarily we are talking to those of us in the room who are married. The reality is that one of the things that happens in marriage is that you have two distinct, different people that are coming together in marriage. And those differences can often lead to heartache. They can want us to, lead us to want to pull our hair out. That's what happened in my marriage. That's what happened in my hair, really. I can show you pictures. I can show you wedding pictures. On my wedding day, I had hair. And then I got married. And all my hair went away because I pulled it all out. Because the reality is us, I married someone who is different from me. Now, I'm just kidding. I really didn't pull my but I am not joking about the fact that I married someone different from me. And sometimes our differences led to some conflict. I remember the first fight my wife and I had, my wife's name is Stephanie, the first fight my wife and I had after we got married. Even though I'm not very disciplined, my mom was a total neat freak growing up. And so I lived in a house that was absolutely immaculate. Steph's family, her family wardrobe, was a little bit more cluttered. And so after moving in together, we got married. Then we moved in together. And, uh, and I learned something. We had our first fight. Because uh, I learned that there's a different system for dealing with clothes. See, uh, there is clean clothes, which go in the closet or the dresser. And there's dirty clothes, which go in the hamper. 
this is how I grew up, right? Clean clothes go in the closet or like or the dresser, dirty clothes go in the hamper and be washed. It never dawned on me that there's a third category of clothes. There's a third category. The third category is not clean and not dirty. Not clean enough to put away into the dresser or the closet, but not dirty enough not to wear again to put in the hamper. And these clothes have a place as well. The place for those clothes is the floor. <laughs> so after we got married, there becomes these pile of clothes all over my bedroom. Now, me growing up, this was a foul. You left clothes on your bedroom floor and you were gonna get grounded, right? Stephanie grew up, this was just normal. And so this became our first fight about who picks up the, you know, should the clothes go on the floor, should they be picked up, and this whole thing, and it just kind of escalated and blew out of shape. Now, here's the question, was she wrong? <clears throat> Was I wrong? No, it, it's not a sin issue. Some of you are going, yes, you're wrong. Or, no, she's wrong, right? It's not a sin issue on either case. It's not sinful to put clothes on the floor. And it's not sinful to want the clothes to be off, off the floor, right? But the reality is it was difference in our marriage. It was the fact that, that I wanted it one way, she wanted it one way, neither were wrong, but God had joined us together and we had to figure it out. And the reality is it led to a fight. And so uh, I'm sure all of you can relate to similar stories, right? Yes. All of you can share about differences. Hey, that person right now is going on divorce. No, I'm just kidding. Um, and so yeah, don't raise your hand if that's a similar story because we want you to leave here actually happily married uh, this morning. But we, we know that this is the case, right? There's going to be differences in marriage. But what if there was a way to understand our differences that would lead to more peace and more joy actually in our marriages? And there is. And so this morning, I want to look at what God has to say about dealing with difference in marriage. And just so we're clear, I, I'm not talking about sinful patterns in marriage. I'm not talking about when your spouse sins against you, and, and then there's a moment where they need to repent, and you need to offer forgiveness, or you sin against them, and, and you need to repent, and they offer forgiveness. I'm just talking about just the, the stuff that's just difference, right? Not sin, just, just difference and, and how we need to deal with that. If, if you got sin stuff and repentance and forgiveness in your marriage, Russell will be here next week talking about conflict, okay? That's next week. This morning, we're just talking about how do you take two different people and have them live together and not kill each other, okay? So that's what we're talking about this morning. So five practical things that each of us can do in our marriages when our spouse rubs us the wrong way. <clears throat> And what I'm going to do is I'm going to use several different passages of Scripture to kind of to get us there and kind of give you a foundation for how this works. So five principles this morning. The first principle is this. In order to deal with the difference in your marriage, the first principle is you have a bigger purpose. Have a bigger purpose. See, here's the thing. The ultimate purpose of marriage is not your happiness. It's not primarily even about companionship. See, the ultimate purpose for life in general purpose for your life, the purpose for my life, is to point others to God. That's the ultimate purpose for long exists. The Bible talks about it. it's all for the glory of God. It's, it's to make him famous. And marriage, when it is done well, does the exact same thing. When marriage is done well, the purpose for your marriage isn't about your comfort. It isn't about your happiness. It's to give glory to God. It's for folks to see your marriage and see God in the midst of it. Let me explain. When marriage is done well, it reflects on who God is and his character. At the beginning of creation, the beginning of time, when God created uh, men and women, when he created the world, he 
in Genesis chapter 1, he talks about a little bit of this bigger purpose. In Genesis chapter 1, in verses 26 through 27, and by the way, if you've got the Bible, uh, the uh, Ignite Church app, all these notes are on there. You can follow along or up on the screen. In Genesis 1, 26 through 27, it says this. This is when God is creating mankind. He says, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now, anybody notice verses, uh, in verse 26? God says, let us make mankind in our image. So here's the question. When God is created, before he's created really anything, who is with God? Jesus with God, right? So let us make mankind in, in our image. There's no people at this point, right? But God, it's, it's plural. He's saying, let us make God and make mankind in our image. And so here's the thing. This us, this plural, is coming from himself. You see, God in himself is a relationship. God in himself is a relationship. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for all eternity. He is one God in three persons. And he created man in his image. Therefore, he created you and I to be in relationship. To be made in the image of God means that we are created to be in relationship. Made to be in relationship with him and made to be in relationship with one another. And the ultimate expression of human relationships is marriage. One husband, one wife coming together with all their difference in unity and oneness. And so God designed your marriage to be a reflection of who God is in himself. A beautiful, amazing relationship. And when marriage is done well, when you and I learn to embrace our differences in a unified, committed relationship called marriage, we actually point other people to God. We actually demonstrate who God is, right? Because he himself is a unified, committed relationship. Right? There's, there's difference in the Trinity. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Holy Spirit. There's differences. They don't step on each other's toes. They all have a role to play. And yet they're unified as one. And so when we do that as well, when there's difference in our marriage and we embrace those differences and are unified together, then we actually demonstrate who God is. So question, what is the purpose of your marriage? I think if you're most people, I think Russ talked about this last week, that most, for most of us, the mission of our marriage is to be happy. The problem with that is a purpose for your marriage, marriage, though, is that when there are times when you're not happy, things fall apart. See, the reality is that in your marriage, there will be times when one or both of you will not be happy, where you will not be comforted by one another. Now, I'm not saying that those things don't happen in marriage. I'm not saying that you can't be happy in marriage that you can't be comforted in marriage, but when those things fall apart, then you're left with nothing. But if the purpose of your marriage is not about you, but about pointing others to God, it will change the way you interact in your marriage. What if you interacted with each other, loved each other, put up with each other, um, actually, the way you did that, actually made people see God moving and working in you as a couple? I think it would change how marriage would work, wouldn't it? If you, the purpose of your marriage was to give glory to God, I think it would change how you interact with your spouse. 
I think when your spouse rubs you the wrong way because they left clothes on the floor, I think we would respond differently, wouldn't we? See, the purpose of my marriage is not for my own happiness, my own comfort, that I might not get so freaked out about the clothes on the floor, right? I might learn to say, you know what, I'm going to respond to my wife in love and grace and understand that she's different than me, rather than getting all bent out of shape because she did things differently than I Right? Amen? Right. So here's the question. Do you have a purpose, a mission for your marriage? It had me thinking this week about my own marriage. When Stephanie and I were uh, dating, we actually didn't date. We did uh, something a little bit more formal called a courtship, where we were very intentional in our marriage process. We, we uh, in our dating thing, we were trying to ascertain whether or not we were meant to be married, even from day one. And so we read books together, we prayed together, we talked about what marriage would look like, and we were answering that question, should we or should we not get married? That was the goal for our dating life. And in that entire process, we were very intentional about what our purpose was and what we were about. We wanted uh, our marriage to be a reflection of who God was. We wanted people to see us and see him. Um, but then life happens, right? And you go through the day, ins and days out, and, and we just celebrated our 15 years of marriage back in December. And, and after that, you know, I was thinking about it this week as I was doing the message. You know, it's been a while since she and I have sat down and talked about what, are we still on the same mission? in our marriage? Do we still have the same purpose? Are we still wanting the same things in our marriage? We haven't done a, a gut check like that in a while. And so I wonder for you, maybe this week, you sit down with your spouse and you have a conversation over coffee. You go out to a restaurant, something like that. You have a conversation. You say, hey, what is the purpose of our marriage? Why are we doing this? Why did we get married? Is it really about our happiness? Is it about our comfort? And so we could just have kids, right? Or, or is there something greater? Is there something bigger that we want our marriage to be about? Maybe you sit down and you, you write it out. Maybe you put it on a mission statement. You know, I was thinking about this as a church. We as a church have a mission statement, don't we? We have a purpose statement. Our, our purpose, our mission, is our purpose is to give glory to God. We do that by helping people um, uh, discover a new life in Christ, develop into passion followers of Jesus, and deploy in the world. That's our mission statement as a church. What if you did that in your marriage? But he sat down and said, hey, this is what is important to us. This is what we're going to be about. And maybe you even have some value statements about how that gets laid out. Maybe you have a value saying, we're not going to fight in front of the kids. We're not going to you know, leave clothes on the floor. I don't know what your value statements are. But maybe you would do that. So, so the, the first step when you're dealing with difference is what is the bigger purpose you're living for? Have a, have a conversation with your spouse. What is that bigger purpose we're living for? Because if you're living for a bigger purpose, the differences don't seem as bad. Second step. Second step is this. Remember that you need them. Remember that you need them. When your spouse is rubbing you the wrong way, you've got to remember that you need them. Now, this can be really hard, especially if you're at a really bad place in your marriage. Because some of you are thinking right now, I need them like I need a hole in the head. They make my life absolutely miserable. But I think one of the things that we have to remember when our spouse is rubbing us the wrong way is that God designed marriage from the beginning. And he designed marriage so that you could have companionship. But not just companionship, but a companionship that complements you. A companionship that complements you. Let me explain. Uh, so in chapter 1 of Genesis, God lays out he's creating mankind, man and female, and creates them right in Genesis chapter 2, he kind of builds up the story a little bit and describes how he creates the first marriage between Adam and Eve. We read about that in Genesis chapter 2. It says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and 
and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. Now I want to stop right there for a moment. If you're familiar with the creation account in Genesis 1, you'll know that God creates all things. He creates the stars. He creates the heavens. He creates the earth. He creates the oceans. He creates all of it. And after he creates everything, he says that it is either good or very good. But in verse 18, he says what? It is not good. It's the first time he says it's, it's not good. It's supposed to be shocking to the readers. And it's not good for a man to be alone. Not good for a man to be alone. Everything is good up until this point, but it's not good for a man to be alone. Again, this goes back to, it reflects on who God is, right? He has no, but Adam has no companion. It's not good. So God tries some stuff. God gives Adam a bunch of animals. He says, I want you to name all the animals, and maybe out of the animals you will find a good companion, someone that can, will compliment you well, and that doesn't work. And so then if you fast forward to verse 21, it reads, So the Lord God caused the man to fall into deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs, and they closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and brought her to the man. And I just, I just love this next scene. So I, I always wonder, what is Adam thinking as God does this next thing? God comes and presents Eve to Adam. I mean, to see a woman for the first time, what is Adam going through in his head, right? And it says that uh, man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. That was the first marriage. That's why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife. God created Eve out of Adam, and they became one flesh, meaning they were united together as husband and wife. That was God's plan. Marriage was created because it was not good for man to be alone. God gifted you with your spouse because it was not good for you to be alone. Your husband was God's gift to you. Your wife was God's gift to you. But it wasn't just to, that you would have companionship. It was so that you'd have companionship that complemented. If you go back to Genesis 1, he said he made them male and female. Male and female, he made them. He didn't make two males or two females. He made them male and female, and it was done on purpose. It, God designed marriage with difference on purpose, that they would complement one another, that they would be different from each other. And you know what? This idea of relationships that complement each other, it's not just true for marriages, but it's true for all kinds of relationships. It's true for the relationships that we have in the church. Even in the church, in, in our friendships, and all these kind of things that we do together, we have different gifts, we have different talents, we have different abilities, and God blesses us with all that difference, all that diversity, to complement each other. The Apostle Paul talked about this in the New Testament. He's talking uh, to, in a book called 1 Corinthians. I love the Corinthian church. I love the Corinthian church because the Corinthian church was a messed up, broken church. And for all the ways that we mess up church sometimes, I take solace in the fact that there was a worse church out there. It was called the church in Corinth. And one of the issues that the church in Corinth had is they had an issue with difference. They saw a difference in their body. And as they gathered together, and they didn't know what to do with it. 
They started yelling at each other. They started like, well, that person's more important than this person, or this talent, this ability is more important than that ability. And, and so they started yelling at each other. And I love Paul, because Paul comes in, basically lays a smack down on him. He says, you know what, you guys are all messed up. And in one of the teachings he does in, in, Rome, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 27, he shares this thing. It's a little bit confusing, but, but I think you'll get there. He's talking really about spiritual gifts in the church, abilities and talents. And he's talking about how you need each other. First Corinthians 12, he says this, Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given that one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. He's talking about body parts here, but he's really talking about people. Some people in the church are ears, some people are hands, some people are feet. And what he's saying is like, each of those parts function together to make a whole. And when one of those things is not functioning well, that whole gets broken. It doesn't function like it should be. Now he's talking about spiritual gifts. He's talking about this in the context of the church. The same thing happens in your marriage. The reality is that God has gifted you with someone different from you because you need that person to function like you should. Now what often happens though in marriage is that we want everybody to be like us, right? I'm an ear, so I want my spouse to be an ear. I'm a hand, I want my spouse to be a hand. No, 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 no. You're a hand, you're an ear, that's fine, right? So, so husbands, right? You might for sure be an ear, and your wife for sure is an eye. Actually, that's not right, right? Because guys can't hear anyway. So, so she's an ear, he's a hand, right? But the reality is that God is blessed with that diversity because you need that diversity. You need someone who compliments you well. I married someone who was different from me. Now, I knew this going in. I knew that Stephanie was different from me. I knew that she was an eye and I was an ear. I think all of us who are married know this as well. We do. <coughs> because the truth is that for many of us, we're actually attracted to the difference. The reason we say opposites attract is because they do. Opposites attract. You were attracted to your spouse because they were different than you. You saw something in them that you felt like, I need that in my life. But then what ends up happening is after we say I do, and the butterflies go by, those differences begin to throw us for a loop. I remember the first time I was enamored with Stephanie. The first time I thought that maybe she'd be the woman for me. She was sharing her testimony in a church one Sunday, and she was talking about money, and how she was really disciplined with money, and her discipline allowed her to be radically generous with what God had given to her. When I was single, before I was married, I was terrible with money. I was always behind on my bills. I would forget to pay my bills. I'd overspend. 
And so I see this beautiful woman up on a stage. She's got an amazing vocal voice, by the way. She's got an amazing singing voice. But she's talking about money. And I thought, I'm like, that's why I need to marry. I need to marry that woman. She's really good at that. That's who I need to be with. I need this woman in my life. And then after the wedding, though, that discipline, that reality that she needed to have a plan for everything drove me crazy. I hate the plan. I can will myself the plan at work a little bit in the office and, and getting ready for the church, but at home, I, wanna, I want no plan for anything. When we go on vacation, I just want to fly by the seat of my pants. I don't want any plan. My wife has got to plan every minute down to the detail. It drives me bonkers. And vice versa, when she was dating me, she was attracted to the fact that I flew by the seat of my pants, that I had no plan. But then we get married, right? And I forget that I need that. I forget that I was attracted to that in the first place, that I need her difference because it makes me be a better man. I actually get to be a better man because I'm married to my wife and she's different. She stretches me in ways that I need to be stretched. She grows me in ways that I need to grow. And you know what? I do the exact same thing for her. I do the exact same thing for her. I don't have it in my notes, another one for us. My wife is a little bit more of a truth teller. Okay, she's a more of a truth teller. She will tell you how it is. And, and so it drives me crazy sometimes, because sometimes she might come across, she's not the room to praise Jesus, she comes across sometimes maybe a little harsh. I'm a wuss sometimes. I don't like to tell people the truth. I, I like just to, this, you know, I want people to like me. <laughs> and so I don't do that as much, but she, she pushes me to be a little bit truthful at times, to maybe have the harder conversation that needs to happen. Likewise, for, for, for her, I soften her. You know, I, I help her to maybe uh, to, to, to soften the edges a little bit. We need each other. And so, folks, in this room, when you're dealing with difference, remember that you need your spouse. You need the difference. Don't freak out about the difference. Remember that you need that difference. Oh, yes, that's right. I actually like that about them at one point. I actually like that. I actually need that. So instead of freaking out about the difference, remember that you need the third practical step. When your spouse is rubbing you the wrong way, Look in the mirror. When your spouse is rubbing you the wrong way, look in the mirror. For all the times that your spouse drives you crazy because they're different from you, you've got to remember that you're doing the exact same thing to them. You, here's a, something crazy, right? You, this is going to be shocking. You're not perfect. You just aren't. And there are things that you're doing right now that are driving them crazy. And so in order to deal with difference, I also think it's important to look in the mirror from time. See, oftentimes in marriage, we, we do the other, right? Well, you're doing this, and you're doing this, and you're doing this, and very rarely do we look inside. So I think it's important in marriage to, to look in the mirror, to be humble about your own shortcomings. Proverbs 18, 12 says, Before a downfall, the heart is haughty and means prideful, but humility comes before honor. If you want your spouse to honor you, maybe first step is to be a little humble. If you want your spouse to, to think that you're great, which you are, Maybe you need to take a little time to look in the mirror. Be a little humble at times. Say, you know, maybe I don't have my act all together. So, so have, have a little bit of humility, right? So instead of complaining that he didn't take out the trash or she didn't do all the dishes, maybe all the ways in which they're not loving us, maybe we just acknowledge our faults in ways that we haven't measured up to our own expectations or their own expectations. I was doing this on Friday night. My wife had uh, made a small mistake. Not a major mistake, just a small mistake kind of a financial mistake. And um, of course, when she made this mistake, my brain starts spinning. 
And I started going, well, I can't believe she did this, and I'm getting all angry at her, and I'm like, I can't believe she was so careless, and, and this is gonna have a consequence for this, and this is gonna happen to this, and this is where we're gonna you know, get in a lot of trouble. And, and so I'm, I'm, I'm playing this, it's spinning into my brain, right? And I'm driving in the car, and I'm just letting it spin, and I'm thinking about her mistake, and how she's careless, and all this kind of stuff. And, and I'm thinking about the huge consequences, and then I, I had to remember that in the course of the 15 years of marriage, I have made far worse mistakes that could have led to even greater consequences than the small one that she made. What she did was simply an accident. It was not malicious. She didn't do it on purpose. It was just a simple mistake. But what allowed me to handle that well and not get all bent out of shape later was I took a moment to look in the mirror. And I, I remembered all the times where I'd done the same or worse and, and how it would affect our, our marriage together. So listen, here's the practical step for this. Maybe this week, I don't want you to like get down in the dumps or uh, make sure, you know, it's not about feeling bad, but maybe you make a list of your weaknesses. Maybe you make a list of all the things you do that drive your spouse nuts. Make a list, write it down. Acknowledge your mistakes, acknowledge your shortcomings, acknowledge the fact that, hey, I'm not very good at this kind of thing. And then maybe as you're making that list, you might even find yourself approaching your spouse. Saying, hey, you know what, honey? I'm sorry. I'm realizing I do this wrong, I do this wrong, and I do this, and I know it drives you crazy. I'm sorry the way I handled this. And what you'll find is if you do that, it's going to lead some, to some great unity in your marriage. Because your spouse is going to totally agree with you. Right? Yeah, like, yeah you do do that. That's right. I'm, I'm just joking. But it will lead to some unity. So fourth step is, or third step is, look in the mirror. Fourth step stuff. After you, so you got your purpose right, okay, you remember you need them. Third step, you look in the mirror. Fourth step is this. Learn to appreciate their strengths. Learn to appreciate their strengths. When dealing with differences in marriage, you got to learn to appreciate their strengths. You got to appreciate what they bring to the table. If you look at that passage in 1 Corinthians, in verse 22, Paul writes, on the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. Honor is a word we don't like to use very much in our society nowadays. We don't really think about what that means. It's kind of a, it's a Bible word. It basically means that you think well of that person. Giving honor means that you, you think well. You, you tell them good things about who they are. It's acknowledging their, their strengths. Here's what's happening in the Corinthian church. The Corinthian church, as I said, they were ranking gifts and abilities. They had thought that certain gifts and abilities were more important than others. So if you had the gift of teaching, kind of what I'm doing, then you were all that. But if your gift was service and you're just, your function in the church was to set up some chairs, then you weren't all that important. This is what was happening in the Corinthian church. What I love about what Jesus does, though, is he, he levels the playing field and says, ah, that's not how it works. There's different gifts. There's different abilities. But all of them are worthy of honor. And what Paul is talking about here is that, hey, those gifts, those abilities that you think are weaker, that you think are not important, are actually indispensable. The parts that, that you think are not honorable, you know, you need to treat them with special honor. And so that, that plays in all of our relationships, that can apply to all of our relationships. But what, what instead of uh, seeing the differences in your marriage as something that's bad and not worthy of honor, what if you took the time to actually honor your spouse and the gifts that they have instead of mocking them? What if instead of seeing difference as a bad thing, see it as a good thing? And acknowledge their difference rather than tearing them down. Even this morning in this message, 
Did I not make fun of my wife's pile of clothes? I did, didn't I? Let me ask you, is that honoring? What if instead of mocking and making fun, I said, you know what? I appreciate how my wife is wise with conservation. And she doesn't waste water by washing clothes that don't need to be washed. She saves us money by actually re-wearing clothes a second time. And she's a good steward of what God has entrusted us with because she doesn't just throw them in the hamper right away. What if I were to do a, a job and actually honor that? So what if instead of seeing differences in your spouse's role, what if you took the time to honor the differences? So here's the other assignment this week. After you create a list of your weaknesses, create a list of your spouse's strengths. Create a list of how they are different from you. How you not only appreciate those things, but you need those things. Because they complement what you bring to the table. And then do this. Don't just create the list. Share it with them. Share it with them. Take some time. Go to your spouse. Say, hey, you know what, honey? I appreciate that you do this and you do this, but you're so good at this. And I desperately need this. Thank you so much for the way you work with them. And if you're not married, maybe you're doing this with a friend. Maybe you've got differences with a friend. Maybe you do the same thing with them. You go to that friend, you say, you know what? I know we have a we sometimes have a hard time getting along. Let me just tell you the ways that I appreciate it. Why don't you take some time to actually honor them? And not, not only take, let's even take it one step further. Don't even go to them and honor them. This is really hard for husbands and wives. Why don't you even honor them in public with other, with other people? See, how often do we have fun in marriage where we're like, you can't believe what my wife did. She was crazy, right? And we're talking bad about our spouses. What if you actually honor them in public as well? Talk about, you know what, when you're hanging out with the guys, you're hanging out with, with your girlfriends, you actually go and say, you know what, my, my wife is awesome. She, she does this amazing stuff. I'm so appreciative. And, and wives, why don't you do the same thing for your husband? You know what, he, he does such a good job providing for us. He works so hard. I'm just so grateful for him. Now, that's not saying that your spouse is perfect. That's not saying that everything they do is amazing and wonderful. But take the time to acknowledge the things that they're really doing. We often like to focus on the negative, right? Focus on the positive. Focus on the things that they're doing really well. It's going to bring unity. It's going to bring joy. It's going to bring excitement uh, to your to your lives. Fifth and finally, when you do these four steps, you have a greater purpose. You remember that you need them. You look in the mirror and acknowledge their strength. Then you do the final thing, which is this: you receive and you extend grace. You receive and extend grace. The reality is that while your marriage is a gift, and you can learn to look in the mirror, you can learn to honor them, and you can strive to be married for a different purpose, we also live in a world that is false. And sometimes in marriage, in friendships, in dating relationships, in work relationships, in church relationships, in all kinds of our relationships, even with the best of intentions, we can mess it up. The differences can get to us. We can get more heated than we need to be. We can say things that come out, we just, oh, I want that back really quick, right? We can, we can mess up. We do things we shouldn't do, and this can lead to hurt feelings, can lead to misunderstandings, can lead to strife. You end up fights over piles of clothes on the floor. And in those moments, you have to learn to receive and extend grace. Here's the thing, living in a marriage that has difference to it, you're gonna mess it up. You're going to mess it up. It's going to be hard. There's going to be times when you're in a war. I remember at my own wedding, my pastor, my, my mentor, the, the guy who led me to Christ, 
came and he prayed a prayer of blessing over our wedding. Uh, our pastor in St. Louis married us, but then I had him come in and, and pray a prayer of blessing over us. And I still remember this day when he prayed. It was, it's, it's just stuck in my head. It's something that I, I keep remembering over and over again. He said, pray, he said, what Stephanie and I were doing and coming together as husband and wife was crazy talk. Because in the reality is what was happening today is we were putting two different people in a room together, and then on that, on that day, a brand new family was born. A brand new family. It was a miracle. A brand new family was born on that day. Two distinct people coming together, and what he said is, this is crazy talk without Christ. Without Jesus in your lives, it is just crazy talk. It will be hard. It will be incredibly hard with Jesus and nearly impossible without him. It is hard with Jesus. It's impossible without him. Because listen, folks, you're going to blow it. And when you blow it, you need those days where you can run to the cross of Christ asking for forgiveness because you messed it up. And in the cross of Christ, then you can also extend grace to your spouse when they mess it up. Marriage is impossible without Jesus. It's just impossible. I, I can't imagine. I mean, I'm sure my wife and I would be divorced years ago. If it wasn't for Christ unifying us and loving us and helping us to understand our, our mess and our sin and how we need forgiveness and then in that extending forgiveness to one another. Listen, folks, in order to really live marriage out well, to stay true to the vows that you've made to each other, I know no other way to be successful than with the amazing grace and love of Jesus Christ. I, I know no other way to be. I mean, you can follow those four other steps, and you can probably do a pretty good job, but without that fifth step of receiving Christ and extending Christ, Christ's grace to others, I don't think it works. I don't think it works. You're going to blow it. You're going to need his love and his grace every single day. You need it every day. It's the only way it works. So that last final step is that learning to receive and extend grace is what you need. Marriage is crazy on your own. It is crazy on your own. You're taking two distinct people, putting them in a house together, and say, okay, now you're family. Go have fun. Don't kill each other in the process. It's hard with Christ. It's impossible with Christ. So, folks, here's the, here's the steps, right? This week, take some action. Have a conversation. What is the purpose for your marriage? When differences come up this week, this today, on the way home from church, right, which happens often, Remember that you need each other. Take a time to look in the mirror and honor what they bring to the table. And then above all else, receive Christ. Because you need it. So with that being said, let me pray right now that you would come and strengthen our marriages. Lord God, we thank you for this morning. And we thank you for the beautiful gift of marriage. I thank you, God, that how when marriage is done well, it really reflects on who you are. A perfect beautiful relationship. I love, I love the complexity of who you are, God, that you are, um, that you are diverse, that you are, that you and yourself are a relationship, your Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And, and it's amazing to me that there's a difference in that, and yet there's complete unity. There's complete peace in that. There's complete joy in that. There's complete love in that. And Lord, that doesn't really compromise in our, in our minds because God, for us, we struggle sometimes because when we see difference, all we see is strife. 
We don't, we don't know how to be different from somebody and still love them well in a unified way. It, it just doesn't compute for us. But God, that's who you are. And so Lord, I pray for each of us in this room. I, I pray first and foremost for those that are married. God, that you would help our marriages to be a perfect representation of who you are. That we would embrace our differences. That we would love our differences. That we would celebrate our differences. And at the same time, be completely and in love with each other and, and it would just be amazing. So God, I pray for that. And God, we can't do that on our own. We need, we need your love. We need your grace. We need Jesus to infuse every single part of that, God, because we're going to blow it. I know I'm going to blow it. I'm going to blow it this afternoon. I just know I will because I always do. And so Lord, I need you to come and, and strengthen me and help me, Father. Help me to put these principles into practice. Help me to remember the purpose that you have for us. Help me to remember that I need Seth. Help me to look in the mirror when, when I'm looking at her. And, and also help me to honor her. God, we, we can't do that on our own. We desperately need you. Lord, I want to pray for the singles in this room. Those that are, are longing and looking for one day someone to spend the rest of their lives with. And, and God, I pray that you would put someone in their path that is a great compliment to who they are. That's going to help them and mold them and shape them into Thank you. 